You're listening to The Contrary Beekeeper Show. I'm Dan. I'm Greg. And I'm James. Join us as we journey into beekeeping while we learn to be the change, one hive at a time. Today, we have the one and only Sean Brown. You mean babyface Baby Sean face Brown? Babyface Sean Brown. Yeah, thanks for clarifying, because if you actually Google Sean Brown, it's uh, a rapper. Oh! That has a song called Walk Like a Duck, I think. Or Shake It Like a Duck. How long did it take you to write that? I, I didn't. That's why <laughs> I'm not the one and only. Oh, so you're not the I'm actual the, writer. The other, you're just performing I'm a it? non famous. I Brown. thought you were the rapping beekeeper. Oh, God. I wish. Maybe that's a thing. <laughs> I wish. I mean, Sean gets down a little run DMC, so. I do. You do? Can you show us? Well, it's a podcast, so it'd be kind of hard to show you. You can sing. <laughs> See, that that's why we have Dan here. Dan is the brains of the outfit. That's right. Visual cue, Dan. <laughs> so, Sean, you've been keeping bees in here uh, in Ohio for years. Tell us about who you are, what you your, your philosophy is on, on beekeeping, and what's your what's been your experience. Who is your daddy, and what does he do? The <laughs> chopper. Uh, so, yeah, I actually, uh, just today... Just today, I uh, learned how to use a mic. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, talk uh, in the mic. You're good. Yeah, I'm. A, I'm not a professional podcaster, uh, but I did. I, I was looking at some of my old stuff today, and this spring will actually be my tenth year of beekeeping. Tenth year. Wow. Tenth year. And um, I, uh, I heard some stuff from a guy named Jimmy Collins just a, a while ago about the difference between beekeeping and actually just just having bees yeah and i would say that i i was not a beekeeper for uh, a good period of time you've been having bees for eight years so i've i've had i've actually had a few breaks where uh i was fed up and gave up so i think there's one year that i had no bees at all um but yeah i started uh there was a a, a grant program in muskingum county it was actually in three counties called um uh, I forget what it was now. The Don Myers Apiculture Project. I applied through the newspaper when there actually were newspapers. Um, I had to write an essay and was... Damn, you're old. And <laughs> Yeah, Dan likes to remind me that all the time. <laughs> but uh, I actually was uh, accepted into the program, got some free equipment, got some classes, um, and then basically threw everything I learned out the window because... Uh, I was I was uh, enamored with what I thought was called treatment free beekeeping. Oh boy, how'd that work yeah. out for you? <clears throat> Not well. Oh, so um, it was great until it doesn't. Right, we have, we actually have an organic farm here in Muskingum County. So I uh, there was a, a quite a few years where I didn't do anything with the bees. I would open them up every once in a while just to look at them. Um, I tried to get honey off of them a few times, but it was mostly just to have bees on the farm, um, and. I kind of, like I said, abandoned everything I did. And as you mentioned, I'm old. So there wasn't a lot of podcasts. There wasn't a lot of uh, websites and stuff like that 10 years ago that were dedicated to beekeeping that I had easy access to. So my philosophy's changed quite a bit over the last 10 years. Well, tell us about that ride. As I'm sure you've learned an awful lot. How'd you, so like what? Other than the grant, like you just thought bees would be a good idea, it'd be I, fun. I've, I've actually been fascinated with bees since I was very young. Okay, so I grew up in a, a old Victorian style farmhouse mm-hmm. that was built in the late 1800s, mm-hmm. and we actually had bees that moved into the wall that was in my bedroom. 
Oh, and okay. I, I don't know why. I'm dying to ask my dad why they never tried to get rid of them, um, other than just it was old slat wall with plaster and stuff oh, like that. So there wasn't drywall yeah. or anything. Maybe they're trying to get rid of you. Yeah, maybe. Um, they're trying to see if I friends. because my, my mom is uh, very allergic to bee stings. So um, that's an interesting thought there jim <laughs> uh, but anyways i would sit there and watch them out my window and i was fascinated and um every fall my room just completely stunk of fall honey and it, i actually hated honey for about 10 years of my life because of that smell that i would get every every fall so i've always been fascinated with them i saw that article in the newspaper and jumped on it we had a grocery store at the time i couldn't get raw honey anywhere so i kind of just jumped in did your dad ever give you like a brochure to go join the military? He, yeah. <laughs> my, my, my uncle was actually a recruiter. So. so they did get rid of you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's where you started off. And what's what's some of the, as you talk to us about equipment, methods, what you've kind of, what your style per se was then and kind of where, how it's developed to where you are now. Yeah. So I uh, when I first started, it was 100% um, beekeeping 101. I had two deeps. And then you would throw supers on top of that. It was all Langstroth. Um, all um, I I went through the whole build your own bee stuff. I had the wire crimper that you ran across. <clears throat> excuse me to put in your frames, build everything. Um, and I, like I said, I was 100% against treatments. I didn't really even know now what I know what treatments are. Um, but I didn't want to put any chemicals in my hive. Um, it was all standard equipment. Um, Langstroth. Langstroth, 10 frames, 10 frames deeps. two deeps, and then supers on top of that. Um, I, we did actually start with screen bottom boards, um, which was something our instructor asked us um, to consider. It was um, a lot about integrated pest management um, for Varroa and stuff like that. As I've gone along, um, most recently, within the last two to three years, um, we had a, a equipment build out here. Um, at Nature's Image Farm, we did a lot of um, eight-frame boxes. So I switched almost everything over to eight frames. Um, I'm still kind of experimenting. I have uh, some hives that have screen bottom boards. I have some that have solid. Um, I've got one with an inner cover, two without inner covers. Um, so I'm I'm continually learning what I think is best. Um, I I've also gone from. 100% treatment free to this is the first year that I've actually done a, an actual, I would guess, chemical treatment, you would call it. Um, I've used some, some Apigard and some Checkmite strips for the first time this year. How does that affect being an organic farm at all? Does that? Uh, any? The bees aren't certified organic. Okay. So I, I've never tried to get them certified organic. And quite frankly, I can't just because my neighbors have uh, corn and Benchmark. soybean fields and stuff like that. So um, the pasture they're in is certified organic. And none of the chemicals that I use in the hive actually go anywhere on the ground or in the soil. Okay. So, I was just curious about that. The other one is: uh, Are you running now eight frame deeps with mediums on top, or no. all mediums? No, all all medium. Okay. So I switched all to and mostly for convenience. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's easier to have all boxes the same size. You got a lot going on probably at your place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah, between <laughs> between full time job, kids. Cows, pigs, chickens, donkeys, now some sheep. Um, my, my biggest um, obstacle when it comes to beekeeping is actually time, probably. Like, I wish yeah. I could devote more time to beekeeping than some of the other enterprises. So, 
that's a discussion we have almost weekly at my house. So yeah, I'm running mediums. actually I'm running into the same problem with I'd rather have more time with my bees, but since I also run a much smaller farm than yours, Sean, and probably a lot less successful. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> uh, I, I'm pulling myself away from other ventures on the farm, trying to get more time with the bees, but also now the farm's living, losing profitability because I'm now taking away from other things. Is it just like a, a fine, delicate dance? It's always a balance, and okay. that, that's the biggest struggle is always where do you focus your time and energy because like, two of the things you never have enough of is time and money, right? Yes. So where do you where do you focus that? Where do you put the biggest impact? And the older I get, that you keep reminding me of, um, I would like to think I'm getting wiser as well. And there's a lot more stuff in life that gains importance the older you get. Yeah. And the stuff that brings me joy and happiness is the stuff that I want to start focusing more and more and more on. Okay. And the stuff that can't kill me as much as <laughs> giant animals with horns. Bulls, and yeah, yeah. Bulls are a little more. <laughs> You it's, probably not, argue it's not a young. One, it's a young man's game. Yeah. One hive could could also as a thing though. One hive could lay you up in a permanent way if they uh, if they desired to. So so is this is this more of an evolution to trying to get your kids to get more involved in the farm, or is this just you pulling away personally from some of the other ventures, or trying just to manage everything in a more time sensitive manner to where you get you gain that efficiency, or is it just a hobby? Yeah, it, it was beekeeping the hobby. Is that what you're asking? Or his kids? Or his <laughs> just, just, just you have a lot of kids. It's, well, good that hobby. it's a hobby at this yeah. point. How do, you, how do you find yourself being able to balance the time, but also wanting to spend more time with your bees? Uh, great question. And if you would ask my wife, she would 100% readily admit that I've spent more time in my bee yard over the last year than I have the last ten. Okay. So, um, I I have to make myself get into my hives every seven to 10 days. Yeah. Um, and by getting on that program, I, I think I've become a better beekeeper. I still don't think I'm great. Mm-hmm. Um, but just getting the more and more experience, I've been in my hives more over the last six months than I have over the last six years. You've observed way more in the yeah. last year and it's consecutive. Any, with any, any kind of learning opportunity, if you rode a horse two times a year for 10 years, that's 20 times. But if you ride that same horse every week for one year, you know, so sometimes people look at measures of success being, well, how many hives do you have? And how many years have you been keeping hives? You know, the, I think the, that's the wrong way to look at if someone's successful or worth hearing out, you know. Well, it's like what, what Dan said, that my farm's not any more successful than his. A farm's a farm. I beg to differ. Well, <laughs> it, it's just, a, I, I feel like one of the things that's helped me the most is by getting into my hives more. One of the first things I do is I'll text Dan or Greg or send out a group text to everybody. And it's always like, hey, man, I was just out looking at my bees. Here's what I'm seeing. What are you guys seeing? And that motivates me to get out there even more. Because I actually have a community now that is beekeepers. I didn't. I started in a beekeeping group. Um, That was part of the grant, excuse me, was that I had to actually join a beekeeping group. And I went to it faithfully for about a year. And I didn't really feel like I was gaining anything out of the group. And once again, that's more time that I was dedicating towards something on the farm. Um, now that I have this community of people that we've kind of put together over the last two to three years, it's amazing 
how much more I know, how much support I feel like I have, and how much more knowledge I've gained just through other people. So, so on your uh, your trek to become better beekeeper and getting more involved, what do you find is the most valuable thing to get the knowledge and to actually get that education to get a better skill set, basically, at beekeeping? I, I think it's a combination. And number one for me, like I said, I've been piddling around with it for 10 years. Yeah. Um, but I would readily admit the the middle six to seven years, I learned nothing. Yeah. I, I didn't devote a lot of time to it. I didn't do a lot of research to it. I have got all the books. I've got the ABC XYZ. I've got the Barefoot Beekeeper. It's all on my shelf covered in dust. Um, I just didn't have the time to dedicate it to that portion. Mm-hmm. It's hard to pinpoint the focus, though, too, when you don't, if you, if you haven't, if you didn't, haven't asked yourself, why are you keeping it, what your goals are, what you actually want out of them, it's hard to, when you're going through the barefoot beekeeper, you're looking at top bar hives versus warrior hives. Like you can't even focus. You can't even tighten up that lens to even begin to get good at it if you don't know what that it actually is. Right. And and a lot of the sources that I was looking towards in my beekeeping journey was treatment-free stuff. Right. Which you you don't really develop a lot as a beekeeper if you're not doing anything. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing that I'll say... Um, is just like I said, technology mm-hmm. has increased. So there's there's podcasts like you wouldn't believe now where you can get information and you can actually seek out exactly what you're looking for. Um, I would also say that beekeeping is something that's not like any of the other agricultural enterprises on our farm. And one of the things that was kind of a tipping point or a flashpoint was when we actually planted our orchard. So when I started getting fruit trees and getting more involved in plants on my farm and bees became an integral part of that for pollination um, and things like that, that's when I guess my focus and a lot of my joy and happiness was starting to manifest itself in a different different way. And we actually moved to the location where the farm is within the last three, two and a half years um, so I actually am on site where my bees are now for the first time. and Which is way... Yeah, when you have to yeah. get in a John Deere gate or jump in your truck to drive down the road just to go check out your bees even if it's, and light your smoker. Even and if it's just yeah. two driveways down, having them where you spend the most amount of your time is is an incredible difference. But and also at the same time, having them... Well, not just having them split in two locations gives you an extra sense of security. But it's hard. It seems like it's hard enough for most of us to devote enough time to the one, to one yard. place. Yeah. To, I'd love to have two separate yards and run experiments and all these yeah, kind of things. Very much so. But when I ha- I did have bees at the farm, and that's where most of the bees mm-hmm. all died, because while it's only two two driveways down, and that's where we have, we have a few cows and the, or, the the trees and stuff, it's still you can't leave the kids and you yeah, gotta, I can just walk out leave here the farm. <clears throat> into the the front yard area uh, where the bee yard is here. You just you can find yourself capitalizing on little moments that you can go. And then, you know, you can go sit in your bee chair and think and look and enjoy the weather. And you don't have to, you know, you, you don't have to get in the car and go or walk or get on yeah. the four wheeler and go down. And that, that's big. The, one of the biggest game changers for me was I, now I can get off work and I just run across the yard and I can sit there and just watch what's going on for half an hour. Mm-hmm. I don't have to get suited up and drive. A mile so you also have a chair in your bee yard to where you just I, randomly sit there and watch them? I, I don't have a chair. My actual thinking place is a, a different portion on the farm. 
Um, and, and Greg and I have had this conversation before of um, we might take a more woo-woo approach to, to some of the stuff that we do, but there's mm-hmm. there's a place on my farm that I consider has the greatest energy, and it's it, it's about 200 yards away from the bee place, but that that's my thinking place. Um, I, I will go out there and just sit and listen to them and watch them, though, yeah. because uh, it calms me down. It, and I, I say that because I literally have a patio swivel chair behind my hives right next to my uh yeah, boundary bunny, fence. bunny slippers and a robe <laughs> with my pipe it's, it's amazing that the most calming and peaceful place that most of us have would scare the crap is, out of is someone potentially else the most dangerous place maybe in the world to yeah. sit down and be vulnerable i don't know you can sit in the middle of a cattle shoot I wouldn't be relaxed. There, <laughs> I wouldn't be relaxed. Or, no. or calm. I've I've been there, yeah. and I would not say I was relaxed. I'd say my butt was clenched, probably. <laughs> I know. Towards the late, like, later part of this season, I would just walk out in front of the hives where their flight path is, and maybe like 10 feet in front of those hives, and you just become, become part of them with, yeah. with their flight path, and where that would scare the shit out of most people. I'm totally calm. Knowing that I'm not, they're not going to bother me if I'm not bothering them on their flight path. Yeah. Have, have yeah. you guys? I'm sure you guys have noticed if you're ever in a hurry, or you're upset, or you're you're you don't have your mind right, and you go to work your bees. What happens? They light you up. It's not it, good. It's a mess, right? They smell, yeah. They just smell your pheromones. And and I I've I've done it before where I've just stopped and I'm like it's today's not the day. Yep. I got to just stop what I'm doing, mm-hmm. put my smoker out, and walk away because I wasn't in the right mindset and then there's other days where i'll I'll just take a second and pause and i'll I'll like every once in a while i'll just sit down and maybe practice some deep breathing or some some kind of Mm -hmm. something like that and then you get in tune with your bees and it's crazy it's crazy i swear i have a queen that chirps at me i've never heard it in my life i I don't even know what it is it could be completely made up in my brain but every time i've worked her and i've tried (laughs) to find her I, I've heard a weird noise that I've never heard before in bees. Is it like Sean? It's that yeah. sweet baby here. face, Sean Brown, talking to the girls. But it's it's little things like that. And when Greg came back from Don's bee yard, and he and I were talking, and it was like, if you just settle down and your you have intentions that are slow and true and purposeful, it's amazing what you can pick up just from listening and watching. Was this after Greg's face was lit up? It, all those bees? <laughs> it was. <laughs> now, so you've you've dealt with substantial loss in your yard before a few times. Absolutely. And since we're on the topic of mindset, how were you able to keep yourself motivated through these tragedies pretty much? Because I know I've had a few hives die, and it's push, pushed me back and made me question a lot of things. I, I would say that if there's one thing I'm an expert on, it's how to kill your bees. So I've had cattle knock hives over. Mm-hmm. I've had a tree fall on a hive. I've had myself screw them up from mismanagement. I've had skunks, um, definitely mites, starvation. Like I've killed bees every way that you can kill bees, I think. <laughs> um, and there, like I said, there was one year about four years ago where I gave up. Yeah. And I said, I can't do it. I can't buy bees anymore. I can't keep losing all these hives, I had, I think, eight at one point going, and the next spring I had zero. And I didn't want to invest the money in it anymore. 
and it was one of the most miserable summers ever. Mm-hmm. And I, I missed the bees. And the next year, I I jumped right back into it. And it's amazing. Like I got back into it for the right reason because I wanted bees again. Yeah. And then I met all these people that are beekeepers mm-hmm. all of a sudden. It's it's something there's it's it's interesting you say that your summer was off because you didn't have your bees because as i've spoken to more and more beekeepers that have pulled away for a period of time i've heard that actually a few times over now that when they do take a break away they can definitely feel that something's off and something's not right is there is there anything better than you get a warm snap in december or january and you take off running to your hives, and you can just see them flying around everywhere. See them and hear them and smell hear them. You finally hear a buzz for the first time in three, four months. Yes. And you're like, wow, they're alive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Number one, there's relief. Yeah, the first the sigh. Yeah. Because they're alive. <laughs> and then it's just, it's like a calming sound. Yes. To just hear that noise. You think there's more to the bees than just honey? I mean, do you ever take a look or listen or just reflect? Because you were talking about how much better beekeeping is as a community when it's a community effort than it is just by yourself there's there seems to be there's takeaways and lessons learned from the bees that applies to life absolutely and i think anybody that you talk to that raises bees number one i've heard you guys say this before on your podcast is it takes a special kind of person to to be a beekeeper and usually when we use the word special it means a little bit off yes um and then secondly if you would ask any one of them you have a weird relationship do you guys like I? I talk to him. Yeah. Do you, do you guys talk to? Oh well, no! It's 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 uh, it's unique. <laughs> you say that because I absolutely love my bees and being with them. And I'm sure if someone's listening to that, that is not a keeper. Like this <laughs> guy is probably like the weirdest person. You can tighten that friend circle up real yeah. quick. Yes. <laughs> talk or have telepathy with your bees. And it's definitely like what you were at a party and there's no other beekeepers there, and you're just like, what do I do? Yep. Yeah. And, and the other thing I've I've realized is. If you ever start talking about beekeeping or bees, you can keep a party entertained for oh, an hour. Yeah. yeah, people love that shit. Well, well, people, everyone knows honey, and yes. everybody knows that it comes from honeybees. And everybody, most people know, like, oh, if a stinger's still in, then it's a honeybee. And that's it. Yeah. They, that's all they know about honeybees. Or they just think stung, it's automatically so, a honeybee. E- even if you're a very beginning beekeeper and you start talking about propolis and you throw out varroa destructor and all, any of these terms that you've learned as a beekeeper, people are fascinated. Yeah. Fascinated. Because e- everyone at some point is is in some way interested in honeybees. They know about pollination. They know it can sting you. So have you been to a social event to where you're mingling through the crowd? And you run into another beekeeper and you have that stepbrothers moment <laughs> where it's like, did we just become best friends? <laughs> it, it definitely makes, I, I'm an introvert at heart. So yes. I, I hate mingling. That's like, that's like a curse word to me. It makes well, my skin I, I remember crawl. like uh, on Facebook, there was a really nice bee suit for sale and it was my wife's size and it was ventilated. And so I was like, yeah, sure. I text guy. Yeah, I'll take it. And I'm driving 45 minutes to go pick it up in Urbana. And then the pickup took two hours because we just spent it talking about bees. <laughs> and my wife's texting me, are you okay? Everything fine? I'm like, yep, just talking. And then we just, we exchange phone numbers. And we're like, yeah, we'll definitely keep in touch. Yep, absolutely. It's a it's a unique kinship that, it is. that beekeepers have. So over the, you're over the last, up till now, 10 years, you've obviously have changed things up quite a bit. And it's probably fair to say that 
it's pretty good thinking to understand that even in 10 years, the bees themselves have probably have gone through some changes and, and we're constantly trying to follow up and better understand that. But as you've gone through down your path, what have you changed up the most? And when, what do you do differently to get to the point now to where you're, you mentioned community and different boxes, but what else is a factor of you feeling like you're maybe starting on the right path? Uh, I, I would say the biggest thing to me was the realization that we've taken an insect from Europe, shoved it into North America, and it has the biggest threat to its existence from Asia. So just the realization that if I'm going to keep these animals, and I've, I, I think of them as livestock, and if you actually ask the ODA, they consider them livestock. Um, you've made a commitment to care for these animals. Yeah. So in the first six to eight years, my I was hands-off. And I thought the bees know best and they'll take care of themselves and I'm 100% chemical free. And if they die, it's it's because it wasn't meant to be and that kind of a thing. Um, I, I've gone through the same life cycle with every other animal on our farm. And um, I've had this discussion with most of you. If I've got a pig that's dying of pneumonia and it's sitting there shivering and suffering, am I going to jump in and give it a shot of antibiotics or am I going to let it die? Um, I, I'm I'm finally taking that same kind of approach with my bees and realizing that I, I don't want to put chemicals in my hive, but there's certain things that if I see that it's going on and I know that they're going to die if I don't intervene, then I'm willing to take those steps now to use some kind of method to try and help those bees along. Were, were you and Katie's uh, mental approach with animal husbandry like that from the very beginning, or did it take X amount of dead piglets in your arms to change that? It, it didn't take that long. Um, I would say that at the very beginning, everybody is super altruistic. Yeah. And everybody thinks that, that they can be like this beacon of 100% non-treatment-free. We don't use any kind of chemicals, hormones, any of that stuff. Um, we still don't use any kind of vaccines. Um, we rarely use antibiotics on the farm in case of just dire emergencies. You're, it's, you're reactionary. You're, you're right. Even, so we, like we don't do anything preventative. preventative. Yeah. Um, with the bees, I'm still taking that kind of approach, but as research comes out and there's been some amazing, fantastic things that I've seen just over the last year. And one of them was when you and I went to that Varroa mite workshop. Um, and there's some work by a guy named Dr. Samuel Ramsey that I'm fascinated with of things that have just come out about honeybees. Um, I know Paul Stamets is doing some stuff with mushrooms that is just freaking amazing. I think that there's going to be some breakthroughs in the next three to five years of things that normally um, wouldn't be considered a treatment because it's like a feed. So I think there's going to be some things that you can actually feed your bees that's going to solve a lot of problems. And that gets me really, really excited. There's, I think there's a learning curve issue with the bees. You know, folks have been raising pigs in the hills in North America for quite a long time. And when you see a piglet with a hunched up back that's coughing and has a mucusy kind of a face and it's frothing and it's not eating, you automatically have a train of thought to where, okay, it likely has pneumonia or these kind of things. Therefore, I can research this. Here's some action that I can take. When it comes to the bees, you can't just necessarily look at the front entrance or look into the bees to see if they have a mite problem that's so bad. They have 32 different viruses that they're dealing with. The learning curve on that, though, like we learned recently, 
is, well, you know, rather than guessing or looking for deformed wing virus or the mites being on top, which is too late, you might have to sacrifice and make do an alcohol wash. And you might have to sacrifice and murder and kill 300 and, and, innocent worker bees to save the entire bee yard. And that, that, that was one of the hardest things I've had to do in beekeeping. Me too. I, I think I called you right after that. And I was like, I, I feel like a total asshole. Because I, I just killed like? 600 bees. Yep. But uh, one of the things that we learned in our class was that the actual organism isn't one bee. Exactly. So the entire hive is the organism. Right. So you're you're sacrificing, you're basically taking like a blood sample right. or maybe cutting off a piece of this animal to analyze it to see if it has a problem that you need to intervene with. On the, on, on the same side of the coin, though, you and I are the type that if there is a bee on top of the box and we're closing the lid, we're still going to take the extra effort to brush the bee off or make sure we're not smashing yeah. squashing. I'll never forget when I first got my first hive. And I was mowing the lawn the next day, and looking down at all the, <laughs> looking down at all I, I the flowers. My, the wife, my wife, and I'm like, oh my yeah. god, I killed another one! I killed another one! I just killed another one! And it, and there was like a about a half an hour freak out of like I'm killing all my bees, and I'm like, good lord, there's, what well, if it's a healthy hive? There's sixty to seventy thousand of them in there. Yeah. I'm not going to run over all. First time I mowed my lawn with the bees. There was white clover blooming, and my wife kept asking me, "Why are you mowing? It is randomly stopping." <laughs> and she made she still makes fun of me because there was a bee on the white clover blossom, and I'd stop till it moved, and then I'd mow. Yep, or all the dandelions. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but but that's one thing. Taking a scoop with a, a measuring cup and dumping them in alcohol and drowning them and then shaking them up. I actually had a Viking funeral for him where I. I, I, I put him into a little yeah I put him in a little wooden boat and then let him on fire like that alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> it burns really it good terrible by when you do it uh, yeah note to self keep your uh, smoker way far away from your rubbing alcohol <laughs> I could get dangerous in a hurry so yeah it's 300 bees and I, at, at first my when I was entertaining the idea of actually monitoring bees you know I, I was thinking well I'll just do like a sugar roll or a sugar shake or a mite board, and then when you realize what all those different things are actually telling you, then you can actually make a little better observation when you understand you know, an alcohol wash is way more effective. Uh, I think it gives you a little bit better idea, and and then when you only see zero or one or two high or mites per three hundred in that sample, then you have that peace and you feel solid about saying, you know, I don't need to treat right now. You could do the opposite. You could not. You know, I don't know that you could over-treat them with Osalic. Maybe you can, but I'm sure you go in there with a wand, you know, every week and be burning up just as many bees and are running a queen out and, right. and cause more harm to more amount of bees than you would doing an alcohol wash and taking a more accurate sample. To, to, and then you might find, oh my God, I got, I, got 12, I got 12 mites in May. I better do something here or I'm going to lose 10,000 bees come September. Absolutely. So it's hard to, you know, uh, it feels like you're sometimes, you know, smiting the nose for the face. But when you put it in the perspective, like you said, where the the all of the bees in the unit is the is the organism more so than each individual bee, it helps. We're not looking for a coping mechanism to make us feel better about murdering them all, but it helps it helps put it into a, a, a probably a correct context. I think the other thing that I've learned is. It, there might be some cases where 
there's a situation where it's either the, the person that's giving you the information or the source it's coming from that if, if you just take one approach, you're going to assume you're not going to learn anything because you're completely diametrically opposed to right. whatever this person is. Yeah. But there's, there's little pieces of information sometimes that you can glean from sources that you normally wouldn't pay Especially attention to. the experiential to. side more so than the opinion side. Right. So if, if somebody's a beekeeper and they've been doing it for 30 years, they might not be doing it the right way, but they know something. There's something that you can learn from them. And I've, I've had discussions with Dan about um, some of his neighbors and their cattle management practices and stuff like that. And it might not be the way he wants to raise any of his animals, but he's learned a tremendous amount from the people around him just because they're, they've been doing it for so long and they've been doing the same kind of learning thing. Learning what not to do is usually exactly. 10 times more valuable than learning what to do. When I go to some of these workshops, there's, there's a lot of the information where I'm like, well, I don't True, I don't believe in that. Doesn't and apply I'm, to me. I'm not yeah. going to do anything with that. But then there's like one or two things that I learned that could completely change something in my process. Well, it's not as much as what not to do. It's how people ha- have the problem come and arise. And it's more or less having the problem and identifying what actually is the problem. And I think that's as important right. as what to do. And if I could give two nuggets of wisdom that I've gathered over my life. Number one, if somebody ever gives you a piece of advice and they say it's 100% true, they are 100% full of crap. Because there is nothing in the world that's 100%. Nothing. And the other thing is, it's all about context. So just because it's right for someone else, no matter what it is in life, you're in a different place, you have a different situation, you have a different climate, you have a, a different everything, it might not be the same thing for you that it is for this person. That's true, and that's why... I 100% believe that treatment-free beekeeping can work in very specific contexts. Right. Believe that 100%? 103%. <laughs> percent. But when we take that context and apply it to the Midwest or here in the hills of Zanesville, Ohio, there's factors that don't occur in the original context. So trying to copy someone's work or how they do something here you're you're setting yourself up. Correct. Beekeeping in Florida and Georgia isn't the same as beekeeping in Ohio and New Hampshire. It's not the same as beekeeping out in Wyoming and Oregon. It, beekeeping is local. It is very much. It, I mean, and and even within that, you and I are what ten miles apart. And it's night and day difference. It is. He'll he'll get two a rain like a rain of one to two inches, and I'll get nothing. And our bees could actually cross paths. Our bees likely because as the crow flies or the bee flies in this. Uh, Situation. I mean, we're liter- you're literally, if bees have a, have a flight radius of up to five miles, I mean, are we could, we're, they could be foraging the same field. Correct. And, and there was a couple of times where you and I harvested honey and we're like getting this peach. Where the heck does a peach right. come from? I don't mean, you know, there's, I don't, you know, and to have that much of a peach flavor overwhelming in several frames of honey, that's not just one little peach tree somewhere. That's somewhere where there's an orchard. Where, I don't know where that orchard is. So. So where are you at? So you've you've learned an awful lot, and it's probably fair to say most of what you learn is maybe the mental game and the mental approach that you then can lo- look at a situation and apply mechanically or physically boxes or frames or be more prepared to receive that feedback and make a correct decision or alter that course. Where are you currently at? You know, this is, this is December. Where where are you at with your bees and and 
what are you looking forward to for the spring? Uh, I went into uh, winter with, I actually had four going into fall. Um, one of them was super weak, so I combined it with another, and I'm, I'm going in with uh, three colonies that are both in two mediums. Um, eight frame, standard Langstroth. Um, as of the last warm snap we had, they all three of them about a week to 10 days ago were um, knock on wood still alive. Um, in the spring, um, I'll be getting some nukes from down south, um, hopefully with your help. Yeah. Um, and then I hope to uh, do a lot of splits this year. Um, I, I One of the things I've learned is to not put like a number goal on anything. Yeah. So last year my goal was 10 and I fought all year to try and get up to 10. And I think that's where I made a lot of mistakes was I, I pushed it. I tried to overextend. I did some splits that I probably shouldn't have done. Um, I ran out of equipment really fast. Um, and this year it's just going to be, I want to get as many healthy colonies as I feel like I can. Yeah. So if that's five super healthy colonies then great, if it makes it to 10, even better, um, my number one goal is to not buy bees anymore. That's so, the best goal <laughs> right. in the world to have. Is that, yeah, every winter be able to have my own bees that I can propagate and get more and more bees. So for your bees, is it just something personal for you? Is there going to be actual like a venture for the farm? I we have, Like I mentioned, or we have just an, undetermined where you want it to go. We have an orchard, so yeah. I always want bees to help with pollination. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to have bees just from an emotional and mental state of mind. Okay. So I, 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 like I said, that one summer I didn't have any was miserable. Okay. Um, I will always make time and I feel like I've done a better job in my life of actually cutting out that portion of, even if it's just a half an hour a day mm-hmm. to spend out there. Um, the other thing is I, I like honey a lot. My wife likes honey um, and she likes to use it in a lot of her cooking and baking. Um, and I like to make mead whenever I can. So I like to have my own supply of honey and you guys know the honey's not cheap. Yeah. So if you can make your own honey, honey. right. Yeah. yeah. Good honey from, from organic fruit trees is, is eight to 12. Oh man. Yeah. The number of right. kids we have in a family. If it ever gets to the point where I have a surplus that I can sell, then, um, we, we do, I had a local mentor that was supplying me with honey for the last 10 years and he's quit. Um, he was president of the Ohio State Beekeepers at one point and has decided that he's uh, he's just not going to do it anymore. So I don't have a, another source um, at the moment. So if I ever get a surplus, my wife is pretty anxious to have another venture. Okay. But as of right now, it's just personal enjoyment and use and pollination. After all these years and all your experience with the organic farm and Sweet Meadows, the your your business, for folks that are just getting started, what would, what would be the maybe the hardest lesson learned or the biggest takeaway you could pass along to beginners? Um, I, I've heard you guys say this many times, but number one, it's about why. So why why are you keeping the bees? If you're doing it just because you want honey and that's the only reason, then you should probably just go buy honey. Um, if you're doing it because you like beekeeping um, and you, you like having the bees for, for a reason, um, it shouldn't be a chore. So it shouldn't be like just another one of the enterprises on your farm that you do because you have to because you want to make money. Um, the other thing is I would say is get either a community, whether it's a bee club that you really like or just a group of people around you that are also beekeepers that you can connect with because that's more valuable to me than 
any book you can read, any podcast you can listen to. If you have somebody that's close to you in your area that can give you an extra set of eyes and an ear to listen to when shit goes south and you're super depressed because all your bees died or on the opposite, if, if stuff's really awesome and it's fantastic and you want to celebrate with somebody, it's great to have that community. That's cool. There's definitely something special about the bees. You know, we've known each other for a few years. We've all sitting at the table. have known each other now for a little while, but if we were, if this was a podcast based on pig castration or, or uh, <laughs> dairy milking your, your family house cow, <clears throat> I don't think the relationship would quite be as, I don't want to say significant, but definitely as deep or impactful, uh, at least in, in, in my, from my perspective, as um, special as it is because of the bees. So there's definitely something uh, going back to community and understanding that bees are also a communal organism. So it, It's almost like you're creating your own hive. It, it's like that. You have your own colony of, of people that think the same, do the same things. It's kind of cheesy, but Dan's no, laughing at me. That's, no, that, that's true. You know, and that's, you know, that's, that's great. And that's another reason why we wanted to have folks like you on is, is to better learn, you know, to get inside the hive mind of us beekeepers to better understand, you know, why we have the approach we do, what, what our goals are. And then I think that, in general, is going to is going to benefit the overall superorganism of, of beekeepers, not only uh, here at this table or here in the state of Ohio, but any beekeepers listening to this podcast all over the world, you know, can now be a part of a hive mind and better understand um, the bees, which I think helps us better understand ourselves. So, thanks for coming on and and sharing your experience, Sean. Absolutely, I love what you guys are doing. Keep it up; it's always entertaining. I love it when Dan sings. <laughs> well, thank you. I love, I love when Dan laughs. <laughs> you guys are the only one. My wife hates it. I can see, I can see that. <laughs> well, thanks again, and uh, as always, be the change. One half at a time. Be the lighthouse. Be awesome. Look at these two for two. Two wow. for two. Wow. Up with, the, with the hashtag B quotes. Look at that. We'll see you guys. Thanks again. Bye, guys. Hey, thank you. I'm not the only one that's all woo-woo about bees, and it's my emotional support system. Oh, man. You're a very you, special friend, Sean. Really it's a lot of support for you, doesn't it? Poor Christy's I just got realized you're still recording. I thought you shut that shit off. <laughs>